Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, open to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Thank you to Cliff and to our praise team, to our special music this morning. We appreciate you all. Very, very much. Well, including today's sermon, we have just four messages left in this series, and I hope and pray that this journey through the book of 2 Timothy has been beneficial to you in your walk with Christ in these perilous times in which we find ourselves. Last Sunday, among other things, we learned that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That all scripture, in other words, is God-breathed, and thus it is profitable to us. Verse 16 and 17 says, For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I think you would agree that's very important information for us to know. We need to know that our Bible is true and trustworthy. We need to know that we can confidently build our life on the Word of God. We need to know that Scripture is profitable to us and that it is sufficient for everything that we could possibly need. As the Baptist Faith and Message says, the Word of God is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It is inspired, it is inerrant, and it is infallible. Well, praise God that we do have that kind of assurance and confidence in his word. But here's the crux of today's passage. It does us little good to know all of that about the word of God if we are not also proclaiming the word of God to others. Think of it this way. If some scientist or doctor somewhere hit on the surefire cure for COVID-19 today, that would be wonderful. We would embrace that and be joyful about that. But if they didn't tell anyone, if they kept it to themselves, what good would that do? Listen, we as Christians have the cure for the greatest ailment known to man, the sickness of sin. And by the way, the death rate for that sickness is 100%. I'm not just talking about physical death, but spiritual death in a very real place called hell. But there is a cure for the sickness of sin. And that cure is found in the Word of God, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's not enough just to know that. We must also actively share it and proclaim it and preach it. That's the big idea of our text this morning. And today's sermon will answer these questions. First of all, what are we to do with the Word of God? And we already said we're to preach the Word of God. We're to proclaim it. But secondly, why are we to do that? What's our motivation? Third, when are we to do that? And fourth, how are we to do that? We'll answer all those questions today. And after we answer those questions, we'll conclude with a word of warning that Paul gives to Timothy and then with a word of exhortation or challenge, all right? So let's jump into our text and let's begin by reading verse one and the first part of verse two and in the process answering that first question, What are we to do with the word of God? Here's what Paul says. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach 
the word. What are we to do with the word of God? We are to preach the word. Or we are to, you might say, proclaim it or herald it. And this command doesn't only apply to pastors and vocational preachers, but to every single follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may never stand behind a pulpit on a platform and preach a formal sermon. But if you are a Christian, make no mistake, you are to actively preach or proclaim the word of God. Now, what does this entail? First, it entails sharing the gospel with the lost. 1 Peter 3 says, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. We need to be ready and willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody at any time. Every Christian should be able to communicate the plan of salvation, being able to point to key Bible verses to do that. And if you need help with this, if you're not at that point yet where you've memorized those verses and you feel like you're ready to share the gospel, then please reach out to me and I would be more than happy to sit down with you and teach you a simple method and about five verses to remember by which you can share the gospel with another person. Preaching the word means sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost. Second, preaching the word entails ministering the word to other believers. It means utilizing the word of God to teach and encourage and edify or build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. It could mean utilizing the word to lovingly rebuke or correct your brothers and sisters in Christ. All of this is where the importance of small groups comes into play. As we gather with other believers around the word of God, then it gives us opportunity to speak the word into one another's lives. And that is so very important. Third, preaching the word entails preaching it to ourselves. Now, if you're like me, the first time you hear that expression, it sounds kind of funny. Preach to myself? What does that even mean? I talk to myself a lot, so I suppose I could preach to myself while I'm at it. Well, you don't have to take it quite that literally, but all I mean by that phrase is that we must consistently be in the Word, applying it not only to others, but to our own heart. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded daily that I am not good enough on my own, that I cannot earn God's favor, but that I am totally dependent upon God's grace, and that he is sovereign over every part of my life, and that I can trust him. Those are things I need to preach to myself every single day. I never get past that point. It's in all these three ways that we fulfill the command to preach the word to the lost, to our fellow believers, to ourselves. One more important note on this before we move on. It should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. We are to preach what? The word, the word. We do not preach the latest trend or fad. We do not preach pop psychology or philosophy or traditions of men or mere religion or mere morality. We must always preach the word of God, the heart of which is Christ and him crucified. Stick to the word. Now, does the word speak into the matters of our day? Absolutely. Should we seek to apply the word to the various issues of our day? Of course. But we must always be certain that we are viewing the world 
through the lens of Scripture and not Scripture through the lens of the world. Preach the Word. Now, the next question I want to address is why we must preach the Word. And this goes back to verse 1 again, the second part of verse 1. We'll start at the beginning for context. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Why do we preach the word? Because one day Christ is going to appear. And when he does, he is going to judge the living and the dead, and he's going to establish his eternal kingdom. Now, what's meant by that term, the living and the dead? At the second coming of Christ, Scripture says that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Once Christ's church, both the living and the dead, is taken up, the Bible teaches that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, speaking to Christians, says we must all appear before the judgment seat, or in Greek it says the bema seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That Greek word bema in that passage is the same word that was used to describe the raised platform that the athletes would stand on at the Olympic Games when they were awarded their wreaths or their medals. It follows then that the judgment seat of Christ, as referenced in chapter 4 and verse 1 in our text today, is not about separating sheep from goats or about condemnation in any way, but rather the judgment seat of Christ is about Christians receiving their heavenly reward according to what they did for the Lord during their time on earth. And so Paul here is pointing to that great event, the judgment seat of Christ, and using it to motivate Timothy to preach the word. In essence, he is saying, Timothy, there is coming a day when you are going to stand before Jesus Christ, and you are going to give an account for your time on this earth, and you're going to give an account for your stewardship of the ministry that he has entrusted to you. And on that day, you want to be able to stand before your king and hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful to preach the word. Here is your reward. Here is your gold medal, if you will. Or here is your crown. You know, there are two basic kinds of motivation for us as humans. There is intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. Or we might say inner and outer And I think as Christians and in the church, we put a lot of emphasis on intrinsic motivation, inner motivation. We say things like, you should serve the Lord because you love him, and it's the right thing to do, and you want to serve him in your heart. And all those things are very, very true. But what this text also tells us is that there is extrinsic motivation as well. And we probably don't talk about that often enough. But one day, we're going to stand before Christ and give an account of our life. We're going to look our master in the eye and acknowledge what we did or did not do for him with the opportunities that we had. 2 Corinthians 5 says that there is a certain terror. That's the word it uses. 
There is a certain terror in that knowledge. That thought alone of standing before Christ and giving an account should motivate us and drive us to serve the Lord with everything we are and with everything that we have. Why must we preach the word? Because one day Christ will return. And when he does, all of us, every single believer, will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for our life. What will Jesus say to you on that day? How faithful are you being to preach and proclaim the word to your friends, to your family members, to your co-workers in your daily life? Now, the next question that we'll examine is, when should we preach the word? And for that, let's return now back to verse 2 and look at the second phrase there. Paul says, be ready in season and out of season. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. When should we preach the word? At all times. Or as Paul says there, in season and out of season. Another way of saying that is when it's convenient and when it is inconvenient. You know, there are times and seasons when the word of God is actually welcomed by the culture, or at the very least, not persecuted or suppressed. I would argue that by and large, until very recent times, it has been in season to preach the word of God in this country. With rare exception, few have been imprisoned or martyred for preaching the word of God in America. In many parts of our country, pastors and preachers of the word are still respected and esteemed in their community. Church is still a big part of the culture in many communities across this country, and that's a huge blessing. For a more specific example of the word being in season, think back with me, if you would, to the days after September 11th, when churches were full and people were actively seeking God. It didn't last long. But in that brief period of time, the word of God was very much in season. People were longing to hear a word from God. Back to our modern day, in some parts of the world and increasingly in our own nation, it is now out of season to preach the word of God. Those who preach the word are ridiculed and maligned. They are threatened with fines and imprisonment, and in some places even death. What are we to do when we find ourselves in those times and places when it is inconvenient or out of season to preach the word? When the gospel of Jesus Christ is is an offense to the culture and seems to be totally out of season. Paul says here that we must be ready to preach the word whether it's convenient or not, whether it's popular or not, whether it's dangerous or not. We must preach the word at all times for we never know how God will use the proclamation of his word to touch a person's heart and life. Some of the places that seem to be the most out of season can be the places where the gospel ends up having the largest impact if we are simply faithful to preach it. I think about the millions upon millions of Christians in the nation of China who are meeting underground on this Lord's Day because the word of God is out of season, and yet the church grows like wildfire. In the late 1700s, here's another example of this. In the late 1700s, there was a young pastor in England named Charles Simeon. Simeon was assigned by his denomination to pastor a church that did not want him. 
They knew who they wanted. They wanted an older man. Simeon was just 23 years old. But in that faith tradition, the denomination had the final say and not the church. Simeon, for his part, said, listen, I'll take another church. I don't want to make these people mad. But the denomination insisted that he stay. Now, back in those days, families would often rent certain pews for the year. Now, get this. The pews had little doors on the end that could be locked. Some of you are like, I want one of those. (laughs) How do I sign up for that? When Simeon came to preach his first sermon, he found that all the pews remained locked, and those who had the key did not come. Thus, anyone who showed up had to stand during the entire service. When Simeon later brought in some benches, the church members threw them out. They started bringing in their own self-appointed preacher on Sunday nights and would not even let Simeon attend. For 12 long years, this went on until Simeon, who never quit, finally won the hearts of his people. And what did he do? Nothing special. He just kept showing up and preaching the word of God faithfully, week after week after week. When all was said and done, Simeon was in that church for 54 years. And by the end of his ministry, it was estimated that one-third of all the preachers in his denomination had learned at his feet. Even though for Charles Simeon, preaching the gospel was very much out of season in those early days, and he endured great hurt and personal insult, he just kept at it until his preaching began to bear fruit. May we learn from his example Whether it be in season or out of season, convenient or inconvenient, we must preach the word. And that brings us to our final question this morning. How are we to preach the word? And to answer that, let's read the remainder of verse 2. How are we to preach the word? Paul says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. What this verse teaches us is that there are various aspects to preaching the word of God. Proclamation of the word should not be an individual merely yelling information at whomever will listen. But rather, what we see here is that biblical preaching is balanced preaching. Let's look more closely at verse 2. It says biblical preaching convinces. In other words, it doesn't just say this is how it is and you can take it or leave it. But rather, it says, come, let us reason together. As Paul once said, here is why this is true. Here's the evidence. Here's the rationale. Such preaching allows room for the Holy Spirit to move, not only in the listener's heart, but in their mind, and draw them to Christ. Biblical preaching rebukes. There are instances when we are living in blatant sin, and we need to be called out on it. None of us enjoy that, but we do need it from time to time. That is one function of biblical preaching. It steps on our toes. And it may not even be that the preacher directly addresses your sin. It is funny, though, sometimes some of you will say, were you looking at me when you said that thing? Because I felt like you were looking at me. I promise you, I am never looking at any of you, just so all of you know. I don't do that. But sometimes the Holy Spirit pricks our heart, doesn't he, and convicts us from the Word of God that this Word is addressing my sin. The Holy Spirit brings us under conviction and makes us aware of sin in our life. Third, biblical preaching exhorts. That is to say, it challenges us. It doesn't only rebuke us for doing what is wrong, 
but it also challenges us to do what is right. Biblical preaching should have the effect of lighting a fire under us to live for the Lord and serve him with our life. Like an athlete gets a pep talk from the coach and charges onto the court or onto the field, determined to win the game. So a Christian should leave a biblical sermon fired up and determined to make a difference for Jesus. Biblical preaching is done with all long-suffering, or in other words, patience. As preachers of the gospel, and again, I'm not just talking about from behind a pulpit, I'm talking about you all preaching the gospel, proclaiming it to your friends and neighbors and loved ones. We must remember that we are dealing with people just like us, sinners. Sinners who make mistakes. Sinners who fall short. Sinners who need patience and forgiveness. As difficult as it is, we must not allow ourselves to ever give up on those Christ has called us to reach. It is easy to get frustrated and agitated when we see people that we've invested so much in make bad decisions and fall right back into sin. To use a biblical expression like a dog to its vomit, like a pig to the mud. In those times, we must remember how patient that God is with us, and we must extend that same patience and long-suffering as we proclaim the gospel to others. Biblical preaching is done, it says, with teaching, or some of your translations say, with doctrine. Good preaching is doctrinal preaching. That is to say that good preaching teaches biblical doctrine. For instance, it is one thing to proclaim that Jesus saves and that people must repent of their sin and believe upon him. That's a good message. In fact, it's the best message that's ever been heard. But at some point, in order for there to be spiritual growth and maturity, there needs to be a deeper understanding of what Jesus did for us on the cross. To learn biblical concepts such as atonement, such as propitiation, good preaching teaches those things. It teaches doctrine. Likewise, we can preach that people should be baptized, and they should. But why? What's the symbolism of baptism? What does it represent? What is its meaning? Why believers only? Why immersion? Those things are doctrinal in nature. And I could go on, but I think that you get the point. Good preaching teaches. It doesn't just state imperatives and then demand a response, but it takes the time to explain the why and the biblical underpinnings of what we practice. Well, let's switch gears now. After charging Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season and educating him on the various aspects of sound biblical preaching, Paul now has a word of prediction and warning for him. Look with me, if you would, at verses 3 and 4. Everybody with me? Everybody awake? All right. Here's what it says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables or myths. Paul has already said in this letter that evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse in the last days. But this verse tells us that it won't just be evil men in the pulpit. It'll be evil men in the pews as well. Paul tells Timothy, there is coming a day when people won't endure sound doctrine. They will refuse to hear the word of God because it will conflict with what they want to do and how they want to live. 
And so according to their desires, they'll find preachers who will itch or tickle their ears. I was going over this passage with my kids the other night, and one of them said, is that kind of like when you scratch a dog's ear and it just taps its foot on the floor? I said, that's a pretty good picture. I kind of like that. They look for men who will itch their ears. They look for men who will tell them what they want to hear and turn away from the truth of God's word to fables and myths. You don't have to look very far to see this very dynamic taking place. There are multiple churches just a few minutes from here who say, if you don't like what the Bible teaches about sexuality, just come to our church. We'll explain those passages away and we'll tell you that you're fine like you are. But listen, it's not just social liberals who are guilty of this. There are plenty of good old Southern Baptist churches who have run a pastor off because he dared to call out the wrong sin by the wrong family and by the wrong person. Let us be careful that we submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. And if our lifestyle comes into conflict with what the word says, the Bible is not the thing that needs to change. The preacher is not the one who needs to change. We're the one that needs to change and repent and submit ourselves to the word of God. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, after this warning, Paul closes this section with an exhortation or challenge for Timothy. So let's read that, and that'll be the last thing today. Verse 5. Here's his exhortation. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. All right, Paul's challenge to Timothy here is fourfold. So let's break it down briefly. First, he exhorts Timothy to be watchful in all things. This could also be translated, be sober, sober-minded in all things. The point is that we as Christians are to be aware and discerning of what's going on around us, what's going on in the world around us, what's going on in our community, in our church. I tell my wife and kids this all the time when they go to Springfield or even Ozark. I say, be aware of what's going on around you, okay? Just be aware all right, don't be on your phone doing this. Be aware. Likewise, we as Christians are to be discerning as to what God is doing around us so that we can be used by him accordingly. Second, Paul exhorts Timothy to endure afflictions. Somehow, we've gotten the idea that life and ministry should be easy for Christians. That is simply not the case. There will be afflictions. There will be hardship. We cannot escape them. By the grace of God, we must be prepared to endure them, remembering that perseverance is the ultimate proof of our salvation. Third, Paul exhorts Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Now, when we hear that term, some of us think of a vocational evangelist, such as one who conducts revivals. That's not what Paul is meaning here. In its most simple term, an evangelist is one who shares the good news. Very simply, it's one who shares the good news. In this sense, all of us are to be evangelists. All of us are to be telling people about Jesus. Fourth, Paul exhorts Timothy to fulfill his ministry. That is, to bring it to completion. You know, a lot of times, again, to use a sports analogy, we talk about finishing. On the sidelines in the fourth quarter of football games, you'll see players do this. What's that mean? Fourth quarter, time to buck up. 
we got to finish this strong, right? It's the same thing in our Christian race. As Paul writes this, he realizes he's here. He is nearing the end of his race. He's getting very close. We'll talk more about that next week. But Paul is finishing his race strong, and he's encouraging Timothy to do the same. There never comes a time when we coast to the finish line as Christians. There never comes a time when we retire in our service to King Jesus. We have some great examples in this church body of men and women who a lot of people would have retired long ago. They just keep on serving. They don't stop. They just keep serving the Lord. They mean so much to me, and I know to all of you. I heard someone say one time, when I go to my grave, I heard a pastor say this, when I go to my grave, I don't just want to kind of coast in, you know, in my little car, just kind of coast in, come to an easy stop, put it in park. He said, I want to run right up to the edge of that tombstone and slide in sideways, Dukes of Hazard style. Okay, that should be our attitude. We want to finish strong. How are you doing in this? Are you running your race strong? Are you completing the mission that God has given you? Are you fulfilling your ministry? As we come to a close, I want to reiterate that all of us who are followers of Jesus have a calling to preach the word, to proclaim it, to herald it. This is not just a passage for pastors. And so many of you, most of you, will never preach a sermon from a pulpit, but certainly you are to preach the gospel within your sphere of influence to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers on a daily basis. And so, Christian, how are you doing as a preacher of the word? Are you sharing Jesus with those around you? Are you doing the work of an evangelist? And finally, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I would ask you, why not? What's stopping you from making that commitment? As we have said today, the Lord Jesus is coming back soon. And when he does, there will be no second chances. Are you ready for his return? The Bible says that if we'll repent of our sin and believe upon Jesus, calling upon his name, that God will save us and he will give us eternal life. Don't leave here today without knowing in your heart that you are ready to stand before your God. You find me when this service is over. You find Pastor Bill, and we'll be happy to talk with you and to pray with you and help you articulate, make that commitment in your heart to Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and let's pray, and then we'll have our closing song. Father, thank you for your word. As we said this morning, we know that it is perfect and true in every way. Help us, Lord, to be faithful, uh, to preach your word, because we know it is through the preaching of your word that you draw men to yourself. Help us to be evangelists. And God, if there is anyone here today who does not know your son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior and Lord, I pray that you would convict their heart. I pray that you would draw them to yourself, grant them faith and repentance, and I pray that they would be saved. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.